going on Sunday morning. How are you guys doing today? You guys doing good? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad you're joining with us as we are in the final week of a series we are calling Legacy. Before we dive in today, can you guys help me welcome everybody to our Lighthouse Point location? Man, we love you guys. We're so glad you're joining with us this morning. And, and I'm excited for this week. And I believe that uh, God has given me a word for our church. And, and I just want to remind people, if you're here as a guest this weekend, this weekend is going to be completely different for us as a church because this weekend is our legacy offering, which we're going to be doing at the end. We don't normally do this. So, so I would encourage you to come back another weekend. It's going to be good, but it's going to be different for us. But uh, as I was preparing for this message, I was actually preparing for this uh, weeks ago, and a couple of weeks ago, we, we had one of my mentors in, Dr. John Maxwell, and uh, he preached an incredible message. The problem is, is I, he goes, TJ, can I talk about whatever I want? I was like, go for it, Dr. Maxwell. You can talk about whatever you want, and he actually preached on a story that I would already prepare this weekend to preach on. How many of you don't know? That's, that's bad for a pastor when somebody else preaches on the story you're going to supposed to preach on. And so I was like, man, what am I going to do? But the thing that I love about God's word is, is that in, in one person's perspective can give you insight to a passage of scripture here. And then a different person's perspective can give you a totally different meaning to it over here. And I believe that God is going to speak to us today through a passage of scripture out of Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn in your, your, your worship gods, follow along on the screens in your Bibles. I want to talk to you about a story where some religious leaders are coming Coming to Jesus, they're, they're trying to understand who is my neighbor, and this is how Jesus responds. He responds with a story, starting in verse 10. It says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him for dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there and also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil, wine, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to the inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If this bill runs higher than this, I'll pay the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And I want to focus in on that, that phrase, now go and do the same. Because I think that if we're going to live a life of legacy, if we're going to live a life that is going to outlive us, there is one focus our life has got to have above almost any other focus, and that focus has to be people. And, and I actually put it down like this. For us, if we're going to live a life of legacy, people have got to be our pursuit. Like, people have to be our pursuit. Now, when I said people are a pursuit, some of you guys were thinking to yourself, no, 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 people aren't really our pursuit. Here's what you were thinking. You were thinking people are our problem. Come on, we all know some people that are problems in life. We all know some people that when they're around, they, they act like idiots and they're just a problem. In fact, at Thanksgiving, you probably had some people that were problems show up to your family dinner. Come on, some of y'all are sitting next to your problem right now. Go ahead and raise your hands if that's you. Don't, don't do that, that's a bad idea. 
But some of you weren't thinking, you know what, people, people aren't our problem. Here's what you were thinking. You were thinking, people are our pain. Why? Because people have hurt us. People have done things to us. In fact, some of you all weren't just satisfied with people are our pain. You want to continue that phrase. You're like, you want to add some adjectives to the pain aspect of it. Why? Because we've all been hurt in life. But people are not our problem. People are not our pain. People are actually to be our pursuit. They are a pursuit and our goal is to go after them and be Jesus to them in the world today. So the story goes, there was a man that was on a journey from Jerusalem going down to Jericho and on his way down, he gets attacked and gets robbed. Now what's interesting is I think that this is a picture of life today. There are a lot of people that are being robbed of some things in this life and they're being robbed by a very real enemy. In John 10, 10, the Bible says it like this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Like, and, and people are being robbed of their purpose. People are being robbed of the life that God wants them to live. And, and listen, don't let social media and the pictures that people are posting out there that their life is all perfect and great that don't know Christ because they're being robbed in the relational world. They're being robbed of their joy. They're being robbed of their peace. There is a robbery that is taking place. And I just know from my life that my worst day as a Christian is still better than any day I had before I knew Christ. And so we've got to understand that our world is broken and it's beaten and it's overwhelmed. And honestly, it's a picture of our society. But I've got some good news for us today because I'm glad this story doesn't just end with, with, hey, here's what the enemy has for us, but continues on and says, this is what Jesus has for us. He says, he says it's not just about coming and steal, kill, and destroy. He says, but I have come that they may have life and actually live that life to the full. And that should be good news for some of us that are beaten and broken and kind of spit out by this world because here's what you need to know. You might be down, but you are not out. Listen, you might be down in this situation, but you are not out of it. And you may be at such a place of brokenness right now that for the very first time, you can actually receive all of the life that God has. And I wanna bring some hope to you today because hope is simply this. It's the fact that things can change. Things can change. That relationship that's broken, it can be restored. That child that's wayward from God, they can come back to the house of God. You feel like that addiction, you're never gonna be overcome. God is the addiction breaker and the life maker. Like that is who our God is and that is what he does. So what solution did God bring for the man that is beaten and broken on the side of the road? Well, he brought people. Now, what's interesting to me is if I was God, and sometimes I wish I was God. Anybody else want, wish they were a God every once in a while? Like, I would change some things. Like, if I was God, and there is a man that is beaten and bruised and broken, left on the side of the road, my solution to him would not be other people. My solution would be, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna send an angel from heaven to help that guy because people got him in that situation, and an angel needs to get him out. Anybody else feel me on that? But God goes, you know what, all throughout history, the, the way that I have worked in humanity that is beaten and broken is I have always used people. See, God's people are his solution to man's problems. So when you think about the problems that are out there today, 
I want you to remember that when you, you actually see those problems, it's because God actually wants you to be the solution to those problems. Because here's what we do. We walk around and we go, oh my gosh, this is such a big problem. Somebody should do something about that. And God's like, that somebody is you. Like, the reason I'm letting you see this is so that you can be the agent of change that God wants to use. And I believe that Coastal Community Church is the agent of change that God wants to use to bring revival and restoration and life to the people of South Florida. I'm not looking out there. I'm looking in here for that help to come. Because God wants to use us. I'm looking at you right now, that person that's sitting at Lighthouse Point. I'm looking at you, the person that's in their underwear, sitting on their couch, eating Cheetos, watching this message. God wants to use you. Just put some clothes on first. <laughs> Listen, we are his plan A for humanity, and there is no plan B. That's a big deal. Because if we weren't the people that God was going to use, there would have been another plan. And it would have been really simple because here's the deal. If we weren't God's plan, the moment that you came into a church service and, and, and the pastor asked who wants to give their life to Christ and you raised your hand, if, if people were not the solution, the moment you gave your life to Christ, God would just take you right up into heaven. Right? Like what would be the purpose of us staying here? And a lot of us, we think our purpose is heaven. No, no, no. Purpose is a or, uh, heaven is a destination. Our purpose, though, while we're here on this earth, it's always been people. It's always been people, and we are here to make a difference in people's lives. That's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says it like this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. You know what that word ambassador means? It means that we are the physical representation of God on this earth. So everywhere we go, everything we do, everything we say, we are actually representing Christ. And he says, and God is actually making his appeal to all of humanity through who? You and me. That's a big deal. That, like that's a big responsibility. So who does he send? The Bible says that he, he sends a priest and, and that would be the equivalent of a pastor. And, and so the pastor is walking along and because the pastor is so busy preparing a sermon and doing counseling and going and preparing for that funeral and that wedding, when he sees the guy, he's so busy, he misses the God moment because he's doing a whole bunch of good moments. And so God says, well, well, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll, I'll send the religious leader. I'll, I'll send somebody who's on the dream team here at Coastal. And, and, and because the dream teamer is so busy trying to get people plugged in on planning center to fill the holes for the weekend services. And some of you are like, I don't know what planning center is. That's why you need to go to DNA. You need to go to next steps. We'll help you figure out what planning center is. 10, 15 a.m., they're letting me know the time of it for you guys to know the time of it. It's right before this. So Brazilians, that means it's at 9 a.m. <laughs> Should be here by about 10, 15. <laughs> She's trying to help some people out here Sunday morning. And because they're so busy trying to, trying to fill in people, they, 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 they miss the, the God moment because they're so focused on the good moment. And God is, he goes, well, you know what? I got a third solution. That third solution is, I got a Samaritan. 
Now, what you need to understand about the Samaritans and the Jews is that they were in this brutal race war with one another. In fact, the Jews hated the Samaritans so much because they saw them as half-breeds and inbreds, and, and they hated them. And there was such a stigma about how terrible were Samaritans. Like, you didn't even want to associate with a Samaritan. So, so this guy is walking along, and the issue is not, can I be a help to this guy? The Samaritan is thinking, like, like, I'm only a Samaritan, so what could I actually do? And I'm so thankful that God never consults our pedigree to see if we actually have a purpose. I'm so thankful that, they, that God doesn't look at me based on who I am or where I've been. And a lot of us, what we're doing with our lives, and we're going, well, I came from this family, or I came from that background. I don't have that qualification. I don't have that degree. I went to prison. I'm, I've had this addition. So therefore, I'm not qualified to do what God is calling me to do. And if God has given you eyes to see and a, and a heart to understand, like God wants to use you in that situation, so stop letting your pedigree stop you from fulfilling the purpose that God actually has for your life, church. So what do we do? Three simple truths here today. Coming out of this story, in verse 33, it says, then a man despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. This is big because a lot of us, we see things, but there's something we need to feel in our lives, and what we need to feel towards other people, number one, is people deserve our compassion. People deserve our compassion. You wanna make an impact on this world? We have to be people of compassion. Now, what I've realized in life is there are two different kinds of people when you get sick. The first kind of person when you get sick is the person that when they're sick, they don't want anybody to know they're sick. Like they don't want any help when they're sick. Like they don't, they're just gonna go hide in the room. They're gonna, they're gonna feel better. And when they feel better, they're gonna come out and they're like, they don't wanna text. They don't want a chicken noodle soup. Just stay away from them. This is my wife when she is sick. Then there is a second group of people when they are sick. They want everybody to know that they're sick. They, they, like, they want you to know how bad they're feeling. They want you to text them multiple times, check in on them. They want you to bring them chicken noodle soup. They wanna, they wanna send out an SOS signal for the entire world to know that they are not doing well. And, and that would be me and probably every other guy out there. Come on, guys, where are we at, right? right? Like we're just, we did, we're, we're on the struggle bus, you know? We, they call it man sickness, you know? It's like, and, and, and so because of that, like my wife does not have a lot of compassion when I'm not feeling good. She's like, oh, you're only running 101 degree fever. Get out of here. You can go to work, you know? Like there's no compassion that's there because she, she doesn't respond that way. And here's what I know when, when we, we lack compassion sometimes, we think things like if we were putting ourselves in this story, if we lack compassion, we go, well, you know what? He should have never been on that road by himself. Yeah. Well, he, he, he couldn't defend himself. Shame on him. He should have taken a Brazilian jiu-jitsu class. <laughs> he should have been a crossfitter. He would have been looked tough. They wouldn't have jumped him. And we have to be careful when we start looking at people without the compassion that comes from God. And see, what I've learned is when I don't feel the passion, I've realized when I don't feel compassion and pity and sympathy, it's because I'm not praying for those people. Because what I've learned in life is that prayer deposits passion. So if you want passion for someone that is lost or hurting or broken or that group or those people, what you need to do is you need to start 
praying for them because where there is a lack of passion, there is usually a lack of prayer. And I deal with this all the time when I'm talking to couples that are struggling. They'll come in and they'll be like, can we speak with you? And sure, and they'll come in and here's what happens almost every single time is blame, 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 blame. It's just a big blame game. For an hour, they just, they're just blaming each other. They're, they're, they're feisty too. They're yelling, they're blaming. Oh, no, no, you didn't do that. And at some point I will stop them and I'll go, hey, just a quick question. When's the last time you prayed for that person? Well, I'm not praying for them. You know what they did? And I go, well, that's why there's no more passion in the relationship. If you would actually commit to praying for that person, not praying that God get them or God change them, but you actually started to pray that God would bless them and, 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 and that God would move in their life and that God would use their life, all of a sudden the passion that was once in the relationship would begin to get cultivated again. In fact, Jesus, Jesus was so sneaky about it. He's very, very sneaky. Because here's the deal. He said, hey, if you, if you have an enemy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for them. Pray for them? Oh, you must want me to pray for them to change. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray blessing over them. The reason why is, is it's not going to change them. It's going to change you. And all of a sudden, where what there used to be frustration, there'll be compassion. Because the heart of Jesus is to see the people that are hurting and helpless. And he doesn't blame them, but he actually has compassion on them. That's why Matthew chapter 9, it says, when he saw the crowds, what did he do? He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. It's time for us to be a little bit more compassionate with people. So it starts with compassion. Going on verse 34. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. So he didn't, he didn't just walk over and go, hey, bro, you're on my prayer list. Hey, I, I've got your back as I walk away. No, no, no. He just didn't have compassion. Number two, people deserve our care. In other words, we have to do something about the situation because it's not enough to just feel it, what are we actually going to do about it? I love what the great missionary to Africa, David Livingston, said. He said, sympathy is no substitute for action. That's a great phrase right there. I don't care if you feel bad for them. What are you going to do about it? That's one of the things that I love about our church is that when we hear about things like Hurricane Ian on the other side of the state, we just don't go, hey, I feel bad for you. But we said, no, no, no. We're going to mobilize the church. And we were sending supplies. And we were sending tarps. And we were sending teams over there. Why? Because we're not just going to have compassion on you. We're actually going to care for you and do something. It's going to cause some action to spring out. At Thanksgiving time, when people are are hungry and in need. We didn't just go, man, I hope you're well fed and go on your way. No, no, no. We showed up with Thanksgiving meals for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of families to make a difference because I'm not just going to have sympathy. I'm going to have some action behind it. It's why next weekend this auditorium in Lighthouse Point will turn into Christmas stores for families so they can have some dignity to go back to their kids and show them, man, the church loves us and loves our community and we're going to take care of thousands of kids next weekend by giving them Christmas gifts. Why? Because we're not just going to have sympathy. We're going to have action because we want to be the church of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. 
And here's why. Because people do not care what you know until they know that you care. And the greatest thing we could do is we could do something tangible for other people so they can see Jesus in life. And I get it. Some of you, some of you guys right now, you're, you're frustrated because you see the needs that are out there and you're like, they're so great. What could I do? And here's what I would tell you. Don't let the frustration of not being able to do everything keep you from doing something. Don't let the frustration of, of like, well, I can't, I can't meet everyone. I can't solve world hunger, but you can't solve that person's hunger problem. Well, Pastor DJ, I know we're, we're doing our legacy offering and you're believing for $3 million. I can't write a check for $3 million, but you can't write a check for 100 so don't let the frustration of not being able to do everything keep you from doing something. Give, serve, love, invite, do what you can do. The best example of Jesus to this world is not gonna be a message preached, it's gonna be a life lived. Listen, in fact, most people are never gonna read this book out here, but they're gonna read the book of your life every single day. How are you caring for people, church? How are you actually not just having sympathy and compassion, but living it out? And the man in the story, man, he has compassion. He takes the man, he bandages his wounds, and basically he's doing triage. He's like, man, I can't, I can't solve all this, but I'm gonna do something in this story. And he's like, man, I, I'm gonna make a difference here. So the man goes and he has compassion on the guy, and the compassion turns to care, and he says, I'm gonna do what I can to make a difference. And then he says, I can't fix all this, but I can take you to the place that can fix it. Verse 34, it says, then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. And let me contextualize this for you. For Parkland here, here's what happened. He rolled up in his Mercedes. And he saw the guy that got hit by the car and he jumps out and he realizes that he's got a gashing wound in his leg. And he takes off his Gucci jacket and he wraps it around the guy's leg. And he goes, hey, here's a Starbucks. Drink this. It'll make you feel better. <laughs> I'm getting into all the things that you guys love. And he picks him up and he, he puts him in his Mercedes, bloody and all. And says, I'm going to take care of that cleaning bill too. And he drives him to the place that he knows that he can find healing, a hospital for people, the church. It says the next day he handed the innkeeper Two silver coins. Now, scholars debate, a lot of other versions say two denarii. Scholars debate what, what this actually meant. Most say it was either two, a two-week stay in a hospital or a two-month stay in a hospital. I don't know about you, but I couldn't afford a two-hour stay in the hospital. And this guy, this guy rips out two weeks or two months worth of hospital stays. And then he says this, if his bill runs higher than this, I got it next time I come through. Number three, people deserve our long-term commitment. They deserve more than just a momentary thing. That's why we talk about eternity so much here because we, we know that this life is just a blimp. What are we gonna do in this life that's gonna last longer than this moment, but it's gonna last for eternity? It's why we're not just about a hand being raised at the end of service, we're about a life being discipled so people can experience, know, and actually follow Jesus all the days of their life. And it's easy to look at things and, and get cynical. It's easy to stand in the back and, 
and go, you, you, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? But it takes a lot more effort to get in the game and actually do something about it. And say, I'm not just committed for a moment, but I'm, I'm committed for the process. I love that Jesus wasn't just committed for the moment. As soon as they started doing the nail, oh, 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 no, that's good. Not committed for a moment, I'm committed in the entirety. And a lot of us have looked at the Great Commission and taken it as a great suggestion. Well, if it's convenient for me, if it's easy for me, if it, doesn't, if it doesn't mess up my schedule, if it doesn't tax my life at all, if it doesn't hinder my vibe, whatever the heck that means, hate that word, then I'll do it. But, but Jesus wasn't making a suggestion to us. He was giving us a command to, just like it said at the end of the story, go and do likewise. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Matthew 28, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. Last time I checked, man, as parents, we're trying to teach our children. Uh, nobody's ever told their children one time, and they just got it for the rest of their life. If your kid is anything like my kid, we, we have to tell him a lot of times to get him to be obedient. What does that mean? It means we have to be committed to the process because we want what's best for his life. And as Christ followers, we've got to be committed to the people because we want what's best for their life. And, and here's what he says. And when, when we do that, he says, here's the deal. He goes, I'm with you to the end. And so church, I want to challenge us a little bit because some of us are way too comfortable in our hour of God on Sunday, and God, I would say to us today, is going, why are you standing around, or why are you sitting around when there's so much of my mission yet to do? Like, I love the fact that we get to come in here, and we get to worship together, and we get to pray together, and we get to learn together. But God would say, it's not about the people in here right now that matter, it's about the people out there. It's about the people that have yet to experience what you've experienced. And it, it's kind of selfish to keep that all to ourselves when it's been so good for us. Why would we not be doing everything in our power to take it to every other person so they can experience the hope and the life and the transformation that we've experienced? I think God would say, why are you standing around when there's so much to do? Like one of the things God has been challenging me as, as your pastor is, is don't be content. Like, it's awesome what God has done. But it's not about what God has done. It's about what God still wants to do. It's not just about your healing and your transformation and your addiction broken. It's about your brothers and your sisters and your friends and your neighbors and your coworker and the guy at work you don't like that maybe you would like if he actually found Jesus if you were bold enough to say something to him about it. Like, let's not get so focused on good things that we miss out on the God thing. Let's not make it about here. Let's make it about out there. 
few years ago, I read this story about a guy named Nicholas. And Nicholas was 29 years old. He's a stockbroker, very successful. He lived, in, he lived in London. And in December of 1938, he decided to go on vacation to Czechoslovakia to go spend two weeks with a friend. While he was there in Czechoslovakia, World War II had just broken out. Hitler was a, was, was a superpower, and they were starting to invade other countries. And he realized that Czechoslovakia was on the path of where Hitler would eventually take over. And he saw what was happening to the Jewish people and he decided, you know what, I, I, I need to do something about this. I, I'm here on a two-week vacation, but I see what's going to happen to these people. Specifically, I see what's going to happen to the children. And I think I've got a solution to the problem that they're facing. And so he went back to Britain, and he, just, he started a charity. He actually did it completely illegally. I'm going to put that out there. Uh, completely illegally and, and made it happen. And he went back to Czechoslovakia. He started getting kids, parents of Jewish families, and going, hey, let me bus or train ride your kids back to London. I'm going to set them up in foster homes, and when the war is over, you can come back and collect your children, because uh, I want to make sure that your children are saved, and, and by the droves, the Jewish people were, were handing him their children, and over a three-month period of time, he was able to get these children, bring them to England, and where they, he would set them up with foster homes, and he was keeping all these records and all these things, and then Czechoslovakia got invaded by the Germans and they cut down the, the railway stations and he could no longer save any more of the children. And so, so his endeavor there was over. He had no options at that point and, and he, he doesn't tell anybody about it. He goes on and he continues to live his life. He gets married, he has children and for 50 years he never says a word about what he did. And then in 1988... His wife is in the attic looking through some things and she comes across a book and as she's opening up this book, it's all these kids' names, social security numbers, uh, their, their original name, the, the family that was going to take them in as a foster family. And she goes to her husband, Nick Nicholas, and goes, hey, what is this? And he says, oh, it's nothing. It's not a big deal. She's like, no, 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 tell me the story. And he starts to tell her the story. And she goes, man, we've got we've to we've get this out. And she calls a reporter and she hands the book to a reporter. And at the time, it, on the BBC, the most popular TV show on BBC was a show called That's Life. And they end up with this book, and this is what happens. Check this out. All the letters. Back here is the list of all the children. This is Vera Diamant, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. <laughs> and it was just so wonderful, so terribly, terribly touching. Can I ask, is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton. If so, could you stand up, please?
669 kids were saved because of Nicholas Winton. He didn't just have compassion, he had care. He didn't just care, but he made a commitment that I'm going to find homes for every single one of them. And those 669 children today are over 15,000 people. Because he said, I'm not just going to make it about me, myself, and I. I'm going to make it about others because people are my pursuit. That is a life of legacy. Listen, one day we're going to get to heaven. And we're going to have that opportunity to applaud everything that Jesus did for us. But I firmly believe that we're going to get to heaven one day. And Jesus is going to be standing there next to us and put his arm around us and go, you see all these people? You see them? They're, they're people you've never seen that you, you don't know their names. You don't know their stories. You don't know what's happened to them. They're here because of you. Because when they were hungry, you fed them. Because when they were hurting, you helped them up. When you gave at your church in that offering, they ended up finding their life with Jesus in that church. How are we living? And are we living with the right perspective? Our people, our pursuit. Let's make it all about people so they can experience, so they can know, so they can follow Jesus. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? God, I just come before you and I thank you that you're a God that has always made people the pursuit. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he was generous, that he was not only compassionate, but he was caring and he was committed so that we could experience a life and live it to the full. And God, I pray that you would challenge every single one of us in this place to not make life about how much more can we acquire and how much more can we have but it should be about how many more people can we change and transform. That we wouldn't live for today, but we would live for eternity. Because we know that your solution to man's problems is us being ambassadors of your son, Jesus Christ, for all the world to see. And maybe there's somebody out there today that you've never experienced the compassion and the care and the commitment of our God. That while you were broken and beaten, he said, I know it seems like there is no way, but I'm going to make a way and it's going to be through my son, Jesus Christ. Because he didn't want any of us to perish, but all of us to have 
eternal life, a real and authentic relationship with him. And maybe you need to experience that for the first time or the first time in a long time. It begins with a simple yet significant prayer of surrender. If that's you here today, if you just slip your hand up on the count of three, I'd love to pray with you. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip those hands up. Yes. Thank you. I see you. Thank you, too. Yes, back there, three. Thank you. Anybody else? If you just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud, say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for making a way where there was no way. God, I ask you to forgive me of my past. Change my present and secure my future. I invite your son not only to be my savior, but to be my Lord. Fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your mercy. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Congratulations to those of you that just made a decision for Christ. You just made, come on, you just made the best decision you could ever make. For the rest of us, this is going to be a little bit different. We don't normally do this, but uh, we're, at this time, we're, we're going to take an opportunity and we're going to give in our legacy offering. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, and, and my heart for this is that you would have spent time and you would have prayed and you would have asked God what he would have you do, and today you would just be obedient to whatever he said. And we're believing God for some incredible things. In fact, uh, I, I'm going to let you know that our grand opening date of, of this Parkland location, anybody want to know the grand opening date? Okay, a couple of you guys. It's going to be March of 2023, so just a couple months away. Man, we're going to be opening up this new facility. It's going to be incredible. But everything we're going to give today is going to go towards that and some other projects that we have in 2023. And here's what we're believing, that God will do immeasurably more than all we could ask, think, or imagine through our generosity. And I want to let you know that, that here's what happens. If we all play our part, God will do the impossible. He will. Like, I, I, I'm seeing it firsthand. On Friday night, I was out with a guy that's been a part of our church, and he said, you know what, Pastor DJ? I love what God is doing. I believe in what God is doing. And he took out a check, and he handed me a check for a million dollars for that $3 million. So we're one-third of the way done. So he's done his part. Can we all agree he did his part? Now it's time for you to do your part. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you all to stand, stand up, all rise. I'm gonna go Catholicism on you. It's my background. And I want you to take that envelope in your hand, whether it's empty or not. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold it up because some of you guys have already given online. You've already done all those things. Hold it up here and here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna take a moment and I'm gonna pray over you and then we're gonna pass the buckets. We don't know how to do this very well, so bear with us. And we're gonna worship together because I believe giving and worship are synonymous that we worship not only with our outstretched hands, but we worship with what matters most to our heart. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so hold those envelopes up. I wanna pray a prayer of blessing over you guys here today. God, we love you in this place and I thank you for the generosity of your people as we move your vision for our church forward faster. God, I pray that you would redeem this back to them 30, 60, 100 fold. God, that they would be the head and not the tail, that they would be above and not beneath. And that as they worship you through their giving, God, that you would bless them in immeasurably more ways than they could ever think, ask, or imagine. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship God.